And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Dr. David Clark with us. His website, nchronicpain.org. A couple of his books include A Psychophysiologic Disorders. They Can't Find Anything Wrong. David, is there a way that people can self-diagnose themselves? Well, a good start is at the endchronicpain.org website. There's a 12-item self-assessment quiz there that takes less than three minutes to fill out and includes quite a bit of information about how to understand yourself in relation to these conditions. And the quiz is set up in such a way that the more of those 12 questions that to which you answer yes, the more likely it is that uh, these issues are affecting you personally. So that's a great place to start. And if it's pointing you in the same direction that I'm talking about here tonight, there are a lot of resources on that website that can help you. And if you start to notice improvement in response to those resources, then very likely you are on the right path. What percent of people, David, need professional help? Well, it's always important to get your uh, physical symptoms checked out by a physician, uh, but when you're talking about psychotherapy, it's actually a fairly small number. The, the resources that we have out there today, the books, the webinar-based courses, uh, if people become members of the nonprofit, uh, they'll have access to uh, significant pricing discounts and uh, to a, a free course uh, that we've recently put up there. Um, and a lot of people will notice significant improvement just from using those. Um, if not, then the next step is going to be something like the, the Curable app or uh, a psychotherapist who is trained uh, in these physical conditions. Can the psychological disorders be just as dangerous as a physical ailment? In some cases, that's true. Many of my patients have suffered from depression, for example, and they don't recognize that the depression is going on. If you ask them, do you feel depressed, many of them will say no. They have a lot of other symptoms of depression that I teach my medical audiences how to look into. Um, but they may be suffering from significant depression that's primarily manifesting itself through the body. And if it's not understood, diagnosed, and treated, um, people are at risk for suicide. There's no question. Oh, geez. I keep thinking of Robin Williams, a great talent that he was with that Louis disease that he had. Yes, that was a combination of a physical illness, you know, not connected uh, to stress, but the physical illness turned out to be the source of stress for him, and he couldn't face a future uh, with that illness, it, it appears. Could medication have helped him, Doc? I can't really speculate without being very intimately familiar yeah, no. with his re medical yeah. records. I get it. Let's go to the calls. Let's go to Super in Los Angeles. Welcome. Hey, Soup. Welcome to the show. Hey, George. Hi, Dr. Clark. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for joining us. How can we help you, Supa? <laughs> I had a couple of um, comments. I even, when I got COVID, my doctor didn't want to tell me I had COVID because it was in the middle of October before they knew that COVID was around. She just talked it up to bronchitis and allergies. But anyway, <laughs> but um, my other issue is, you know, I, I, um, I, you know, I'm blind and I was adopted and then um, I got molested and raped 
by a family member, and then I got date raped in my 20s. And then on top of all that, I got criticized, like the criticism that I just, it was my fault, and I couldn't do anything right. And I don't know, I just, um, I don't know. I think I have, I don't know if it's a little bit of PTSD, but, um, you know, it I still was. To say that family's not with me. Like I don't, I don't really contact with my family. So. The the issues are still with you, though, aren't they? Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, Supa. And you know, it's not something that we can go back and change, but we absolutely can change the impact that those are having on you today. And one of the ideas that I share with almost all of my patients who've been through adversity as kids is to look at those experiences as essentially the equivalent of having been born in the middle of a dangerous uh, jungle or rainforest or in the middle of a dangerous mountain range. Through no fault of your own, you found yourself in this terrible place, Um, but you can take tremendous credit for the heroic perseverance that you showed to overcome all of these challenges and get where you are today. I mean, you were adopted, so you don't know uh, your biological parents. You were molested. You have a visual disability. But all of those things, uh, you deserve tremendous credit for having overcome. And I I like my patients to um, recognize the heroism that it took to overcome all those challenges and to think of themselves uh, in those terms as as heroes. Uh, and when they do that, uh, it makes a tremendous difference uh, in their lives going forward. Super, did you ever have to seek uh, any kind of special help, psychological help or anything? Um, I had a little bit of counseling, but I really don't want to take pharmaceuticals, and they tried to kind of push those, <laughs> try to do the natural thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's an interesting question, Doc, the pharmaceutical drugs compared to trying to heal yourself mentally? Well, it's um, something that I don't push one way or the other. I have conversations with my patients. I make them aware that medications are available. I talk to them about the risks and benefits. Uh, In many people, um, the use of the medications is kind of like a crutch for a broken ankle. It's something that's going to help you uh, while you're working on the issues uh, psychologically. It yeah. can give you support. As long as uh, you don't that, overdo it, I guess, right? Yes. That's right. Super. Thank you. Keep in touch. Bill in Miami, welcome to the program. Hey, William. Yes. Hello. Uh, hello, Dr. Dave. Hello, George. Hey, Bill. And um, Yeah. Um, where were you 30, 40 years ago? You needed him, didn't you? Yeah, it's uh, everything you're talking about. <clears throat> I was in uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, <clears throat> I just uh, went through a lot of stressful stuff with, uh, you know, I was a churchgoer, so we had a church family. And, uh, of course, the church went through a big division. And so through the division, I know I lost the church, but I also lost uh, the, my family. And then all of a sudden, at the age of 30, I woke up one morning. I couldn't get out of bed. I was like a 120-year-old man. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, long story short, 
uh, ended up, they sent me to the fall clinic in Pittsburgh, and they guaranteed me they were going to find out what was wrong with me. And um, at the end of the day, they said, uh, congratulations, sir, you're cured, because they could find nothing wrong with me, nothing. Was, right? it, was it all psychological? Well, from listening to your show tonight, I would say yes. Uh, you know, they diagnosed it as rheumatoid arthritis. Here, I, I, Many years later, that was when I was 30, I'm in my 70s now. I have no pain. I have no, take no medication. But, of course, I have damage from damaged joints. But the thing is, is uh, I believe that what you're talking about tonight is exactly 100% correct. That it's uh, it was just all the stress because I was going through great stress at that during that period, and I was young. Yeah, Bill, that's you know that's by far the most likely when you go to a good medical institution and they can't find a biological reason for the symptoms that you're having, then you know let's look at it another way. If you go to a, a physician with an undiagnosed symptom, there's a forty percent chance right off the bat that this is a mind-body condition. Yeah. And then when they do the diagnostic tests and they don't find anything, uh, that probability rises into the 90-plus percent range. Uh, so that's uh, very likely uh, what you were dealing with. And then you tell me on top of that, you know you were experiencing high levels of stress. That pushes the probability uh, even higher. The last piece of that puzzle would be uh, if the physicians had known that they should investigate you for stresses in your life, past and present, and they uncovered that stress you were coping with at that time, and they helped you to deal with it, and then you experienced improvement uh, in the symptoms that you were having, uh, that would be the clincher. Doctor, how many physicians today are tuned into this and understand it now? Well, we're getting there. Uh, we, you know, I would say several hundred. Um, I'm teaching in uh, medical school here in town. There are medical schools in Europe that are using um, one of my books as their textbook. I'm teaching in graduate schools for physician assistants uh, at universities' uh, psychological programs. Uh, I'm invited to give talks to um, doctors in training all over the United States and, uh, and in Canada. Uh, so there are a very rapidly growing number of institutions that want this information for their students and uh, to use in practice, um, but we're still outside the mainstream. I mean, we've got numerous randomized controlled trials published in top journals, uh, gold standard science, uh, but the, the, the word is just not getting out there fast enough as far as I'm concerned. Why does it seem, doctor, that slow, deep breaths help a lot? Well, it turns on your parasympathetic nervous system, uh, which is your rest and digest system, and it helps to turn off the sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight system. So that slow, deep breathing, you know, slowly in, slowly out, it's telling your whole system that you're safe, that you're okay, uh, that everything's going to be all right, and it reduces your stress level. Remarkable. Stacy's with us in Oklahoma. First time caller. Hello, Stacy. Hi. Good to have you with us. Thank you for us. taking my call. Sure thing. Go ahead. Um, I just want to give you a little brief uh, 
information and then ask a question. Sure. Um, I grew up in um, an alcoholic family. Um, I have like no hardly any memories. I have a lot of repressed memories. Uh, I overcame um, addiction and alcoholism from my youth. Um, in the last 10 years, I developed um, undiagnosable um, digestive problems. Um, and I wonder, my question is, how would repressed memories affect what you guys are talking about? And I'll take my answer off air. Thank you. All right. Go ahead, David. Yeah, thank you for your question, Stacy. And, and, you know, there's a high probability that issues uh, from the past are playing a role in your symptoms. You say they're undiagnosed, so I'm assuming that uh, doctors have been looking for a biomedical cause and not finding it. So as we found with Bill, when that's the case, uh, then the probability is quite high that the symptoms are generated by the brain. And when that's the case, then we're looking for stresses in the person's life, past or present. And you had a very high level of stresses uh, from the past. And it may be that some of them were so bad that uh, you're not ready to experience them yet. Your brain has decided to repress them and, you know, keep them out of your conscious awareness because uh, you're not quite ready to deal with them yet. So uh, a good um, approach to this would be to look for a therapist uh, to help you connect with those, to help you cope with uh, repressed emotions that you might have. Many of my patients are dealing with a great deal of anger or fear or shame or grief, or even sometimes guilt that they're not consciously aware of. And a good psychotherapist, one that you feel comfortable with, uh, can help you connect with those, uh, put them into words. And then the more you can put them into words, the less those emotions need to express themselves via your body in the form of symptoms. Let's go to Joe in Long Island, New York, east of the Rockies. Hi, Joseph. Yeah, hi, hi, Dr. Dave. Uh, I have like two questions. The second's on something you said at the very end of the last segment, but uh, I'm listening to this audio book from 2011 that's still available. It's called The Optimism Bias. And there were a couple of things in there uh, that are interesting that relate to what you're saying about the brain. Uh, one was uh, she said, this neuroscientist, that people when they're looking for someone that they know or a friend in a huge crowd, they'll actually think they see their friend when, you know, they get closer, they don't. And this is a, a trick of the brain. Another thing she brought up was uh, this idea of being in, a, in an actual desert and seeing a mirage that's translucent. But they say when people, she said when people, uh, are uh, parched or dehydrated, they actually see something transparent like water. Another thing where, like, there's a, a brain uh, playing tricks on you. So I'd ask about this, like, relating to bias, where the brain is trying to be optimistic and it's actually playing tricks on you. The second thing I want to ask you about is uh, what you said at the very end of the last segment about people lacking assertiveness. Do you see that within the medical community? Do you see that in certain age groups, gender? Where do you see that, and why do people seem to not stick up for themselves? Yeah, that's a lack of assertiveness is a personality trait that people can learn uh, when they're very young. You know, the human beings are remarkable for their 
capacity for learning. And the most important single thing we learn about is ourselves. You know, who are we? What are we good at? You know, ourselves as individuals. And if we grow up in a healthy environment, uh, we're going to learn accurate ideas about what we're good at, what we're not good at, uh, our own value as a person. But on the other hand, if we grow up, uh, you know, as Stacy, uh, the earlier caller, did in a dysfunctional or traumatic or toxic environment, what we learn about ourselves is, is false. You know, we learn that we're second rate or worthless. We learn that uh, it's our job to take care of other people rather than take care of ourselves. And we can learn that trying to assert for ourselves uh, is a waste of time because it's not going to get us anywhere. And if you learn that enough times as a kid, it just becomes a basic assumption of your life. And it can happen to anybody. Uh, you know, I've seen it happen to people who are otherwise uh, mentally quite strong. The good news is that when you see, you know, how you learned these things as a kid and who taught you these false assumptions and how they taught you to believe these things about yourself that are not true. Um, that's the start of overcoming them and replacing those false ideas with uh, accurate knowledge of yourself as a person. And that's the foundation for personal growth. And does the brain play tricks on you, David? Oh, the, yes, absolutely. There, there are, there's a whole science of the way uh, perceptions uh, can be fooled in various ways uh, because of uh, how the brain processes them. The, the brain is uh, incredibly powerful. Even after my first seven years of medical education and training, I had no idea what it was capable of. One of my patients was a 17-year-old. I was asked to see on his 70th day in the hospital for unexplained abdominal pain. Over the previous 18 months, he'd seen six other gastrointestinal specialists. He was getting huge doses of morphine around the clock for this pain. And it was 100% generated by his brain because when Jeez. we uncovered the stress um, and were successful in treating it, um, he was out of the hospital in a week and off of all opioids in 30 days. David, we're going to come back and take final calls with you in just a moment right here on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back. George Norrie along with Dr. David Clark. His website is nchronicpain.org, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. We'll take final calls. David, uh, they say that stress kills. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it definitely contributes. Uh, we know that the more adverse childhood experiences you have, for example, which is a major source of stress in my patients, uh, your life expectancy can be shortened. If you've got six or more of those ACEs in your background, your life expectancy is 20 years less. Why is that? Um, it seems most likely that contributing to this is activation of inflammation in the body at an early age. But there are many other factors uh, involved as well. But, yeah, stress kills. But let's say that there's, you know, there's good news here, too, that we can intervene. Um, we can make a difference to the long-term impact of even childhood stress. And there's a good chance that by bringing the stress level down in ways we know how to do now, um, that will make a difference uh, not only to your um, well-being and, and mood, um, but to your longevity as well. Let's go back to the calls. Let's go to our wild card line. Cornelius is with us in Louisiana. Hello there, Mr. White. 
Hey there, George and Dr. David Clark. Let the good times roll. I'm Mardi Gras man here in Alexandria, Louisiana. Not the God, guns, and gold man, the Bible, bullets, and beans man. That'll be after Mardi Gras. And please, George, try to play Mardi Gras Mambo Monday and Tuesday because that's going to be the last two days of Mardi Gras. So try to get Tommy to find Mardi Gras Mambo. You'll like that song. Now, Dr. Clark. Yes, sir. Telling Tommy, and George knows my situation too, and most of the coast-to-coast listeners and callers. And thank y'all. Boy, some of y'all sent me some stuffed animals and all kinds of stuff, Bibles with my name on it. So I want to thank you. And go to YouTube, Cornelius Lawson White. You can look me up too, Doc. And I'm going to try to look you up because I'm not online, but I got a friend of mine that can get a hold of you. My problem was my feet hadn't been washed in almost a year. And I asked the doctor for home health care because In 2010, I started stiffening up like Celine Dion and stuff. And I've I've dealt with childhood trauma. I was raped as a child and stuff, and George knows that too. But my problem is the nurses listened to me, but the doctors would not. Oh, he's just some homeless vet. And they thought I was homeless because of the way I looked. George called me the big black Bigfoot. Because they looked at my feet and they were so ugly and stuff, and big my big toes. I got my look like I'm, you know, like a hairy ape or something. But um, it's when doctors don't look at a, a patient as a person. I think that's where a lot of the trouble begins. To like I said, I tried to tell the doctor I needed home health care. Now this Friday, and please pray for me and pray for Super and all the callers and listeners that are calling in with their problems. So they're trying to get me home health care now. But last year, I was walking out of my shoes and stuff, and I told the doctor, I said, I need help. So January the 15th on Martin Luther King Day, I called for a medical emergency. I thought I was having a stroke. So I called for help. Oh, man, we're checking you out. Can't find nothing wrong with you. I told him, my feet, my feet. It's causing my head to say I'm having a stroke. So two weeks later on February the 1st, I had another medical emergency. I said, man, my head, it feels like I'm having a stroke and heart attack at the same time. And they said, well, we just came over here two weeks ago, Mr. White. What's wrong with you? I tell my feet are hurting me. I can't change my socks or shoes or pants. I need help. So the doctor that sees me this time, I'll just wash him up, just throw him in the shower, nurses. And, but the nurses said, look, we know there's something wrong with you, Mr. White. We're going to take your shoes off. My socks had disintegrated. That's how bad off. And my feet, boy, like I said, they look like Bigfoot and probably smell like Bigfoot. But it Maybe it worse. Just, Maybe worse, right? Yeah. But anyway, Doc, I'm going to try to contact you. God bless you, George, and God bless Coast to Coast AM. And please pray for all of us that are calling in with all our problems. And I'm going to try to get a hold of you, Doc. And I hope you all can right, look Cornelius, up. Cornelius, thank you for calling in. Yeah, he had some problems, David. Yeah, very unfortunate. Uh, there's a lot that the healthcare system doesn't deal with very well. Um, but the nice thing about the work that I do is when you see the response of the patients and how much they improve, uh, it adds such a professional reward to your practice. And I just hope more physicians will find out about it. And, and thanks to your program, I'm sure more will. 
Absolutely. East of the Rockies, Raymond's with us in Wilson, New York. Welcome to the show. Hi, Raymond. Oh, good morning, George Norrie, and good morning, Dr. Clark. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Um, I, I've been suffering from a nervous breakdown for eight years. My beautiful, gorgeous wife of 52 years passed away August 9, 2023. Oh, sorry to hear I, uh, Thank you. I... Um, I went from 180 pounds. I'm down to 123 pounds. My, uh, I, I, I can't have oil, dairy, or fat. Um, I'm suffering some subconscious anxiety, major depression, GAD, and uh, I can't take any uh, antidepressants. I was able to 12 years ago. I can't now. I have a paradoxal effect happening here, and uh, I also have... Uh, subconscious anxiety it's uh, my nerves are shot throughout the day and at nighttime i become calm and uh, i've seen many psychiatrists i've taken over 20 antidepressants five mood stabilizers and uh, uh every one of them sends my nerves through the roof and i'm an, I, I need help i'm 72 years old i've got two kids i i love dearly and i want to be well for them and uh excuse me i I don't want to cry over here. It's been a long, a long journey. Uh, yes, I, I, I can understand that. Thank you, Dr. Clark. Um, I'm so, I, so sorry about the loss of your wife. Um, I just have to ask, which I would do if you were in my office, uh, did you go through experiences as a kid that you wouldn't yeah. want for children of your own? Absolutely, doctor. Um, my dad, I love my father. He was a wonderful father, uh, very patriotic. He would make me and my brothers fight until we saw blood. When there was blood, the fight was over. That was every Friday night for a couple of years oh, when, when I was 9, 10. I didn't know that was abuse. I thought everybody went through that. My father would tell me, you get in a fight and you back out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to beat you. You get in a fight, you get a piece of the guy, so the guy knows that he's been in a fight. And, uh, yeah, for a couple of years I had to experience that, along with uh, physical abuse throughout my years. Um, but, but you know, again, I thought that was natural. Yeah, and uh, this, is, this is very common in my patients is that, you know, none of us has a parallel life to look uh, to compare ourselves with. So when we look back at what we experienced as kids, uh, it seems normal to us, and consequently, um, many of my patients, they've never shared stories uh, like the one you just shared uh, with anybody. I'm very often the first or second person who's ever heard a story like the one you just told, and yet it can have a profound impact on a person for decades into their adult life and affect their physical health as well, as we've heard tonight. What do you recommend that he do, David? Oh, my goodness. You know, without going over your records, it's clear that you've had a lot of medical care, a lot of diagnostic intervention. Um, you know, there, there's no way that I can uh, evaluate that uh, over the radio. But I can say that very often uh, my patients have not had enough attention paid to the uh, severe impact they suffered when they were growing up, when they were kids. And one thing that's been very helpful to a lot of my patients is to look at that experience and imagine their own kid going through the same thing. What would it be like to watch your own child have to suffer that same kind of environment? And the purpose of, of that 
imagination exercise is to recognize how heroic you were to have come through all of that. And, and taking on that personal sense of being the hero of your own life uh, can make a, a huge difference going forward. It can give you uh, a strength to carry yourself with that can be at least a little of a bulwark against um, everything you're having to cope with today, including, you know, very sadly, the loss of your wife. And David, clearly what happened to Raymond as a kid has had a profound effect on him, hasn't it? There's no question. Can't imagine. No question. My aunt's with us in New York. A lot, a lot, a lot of New York callers today. Yes. Huh? Good morning, gentlemen. Hi, my uh, great guest, um, David. I, I listen over the air. I'd like you to tell us or capsulize your medical training and when you uh, finish your uh, residency, what type of practice did you, or what type of uh, officially named doctor you were, and um, your initial practice. Um, but my main question is, uh, dealing with um, alternative modalities, even integrated medicine, Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and, and, and even shamanic folk medicine, have you looked at that mind, body, spirit, and all the emotions mixed up in those three, have you done any research or looked at how effective they are in dealing with the stress um, trauma aspect? And I'll listen over the air. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Yeah, I graduated from the University of Connecticut uh, School of Medicine. I got an award for uh, excellence there. Then I did my uh, residency training at Harbor UCLA Medical Center for five years and finished there uh, qualified and board certified in gastroenterology. And two-thirds of my career was garden variety gastroenterology patients, uh, just as you know any other GI doc um, might be working with. In terms of the uh, alternative treatments uh, that you mentioned, um, you know, I did look at those, but I didn't see a lot of research that was comparing them with uh, alternatives that gave me confidence that they would be powerful enough uh, to help the kinds of patients that I was seeing. Uh, instead, the, the framework that I was given by the psychiatrist that I mentioned at the top of the show, Harriet Kaplan, um, she gave me an approach that was very powerful, looking at the stresses in a person's life uh, at the moment, looking for traumas that a person suffered before their symptoms began, looking at the adverse childhood experiences and their long-term effects on their personality traits and their repressed emotions and on triggers in their life today. Those were very powerful, and we now have... Uh, very well done randomized controlled trials published in top journals that show uh, much greater effects on relieving pain than anything else we've seen before. Studies from uh, Colorado, from the Los Angeles VA Hospital, from Harvard, uh, from Wayne State University in Detroit, from Halifax in Nova Scotia, over and over and over again, these studies are confirming each other, showing huge, what we call statistically, effect sizes uh, in benefiting patients um, that I think are much greater than you're going to see with uh, Chinese medicine, naturopathy, homeopathy, Ayurvedic, and so forth.
If people take the uh, quiz, the 12-question uh, quiz, and they answer yes to most of it, what does that mean, David? That means that uh, there's a very good chance that the mind-body techniques that uh, we describe and, and uh, make available on the endchronicpain.org website are going to benefit you, that the whole line of thinking and the resources and the books and the courses and the, we have recorded conferences as well, um, that they're going to help you. How many yeses do you need before you come to that conclusion? Uh, that would require some more research, but I can tell you that uh, on the average, people that come to our website answer eight and a half questions with a yes. And people who do that, um, they are going to find uh, new insights that they haven't seen before, and they're going to benefit from them. Intriguing. They can get to it with endchronicpain.org? Yes. It's, uh, it pops up. It's very easy to find. Uh, you just tap the, uh, the Patients tab, and a menu rolls down, and you'll see the self-assessment quiz there. And how do people get your books? You know, they're all available on Amazon. Uh, they can't find anything wrong. It's been in print for 16 years. Um, and the other one uh, that I recommend, Psychophysiologic Disorders, is uh, particularly for people that love to read about science. Great. And how many people have confused you with the rock star? <laughs> Since I was about eight years old. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he, was a, uh, he was a great uh, drummer. And... Uh, I always appreciated sharing a name with him. The Dave Clark Five. Thank you very much. Up next, the Giza, the Tesla Connection with Christopher Dunn on Coast to Coast AM.